everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and uh, happy Data Privacy Day. January 28th is International Data Privacy Day, and uh, so that's going to be our focus today. And I do have an interview, though it's not uh, it's not a new one. So for those of you who were around last year, Data Privacy Day happened to exactly fall on the date of my 100th podcast episode. Uh, I called it my pod centennial. And I did several things to celebrate my 100th, 100th episode, but the guest I had on that show was probably my biggest get to date and maybe maybe even of all time so far. Uh, his name was Bruce Schneier. And if you were around, you might remember he is a world-renowned cryptographer and security expert. He has testified for Congress. He serves on multiple boards of you know, organizations you've heard of, like the EFF. He literally wrote the book on applied cryptography back in the day, and I'm proud to have a signed copy of that book. Uh, but since then, he's written like a, a dozen other books. And while some of the early ones are obviously very technical, uh, the newer ones are very much geared toward the layman. And I highly re recommend most of them. I'll talk about uh, a couple in particular here at the end of the show. But I, I had been emailing Bruce off and on for a few years, and he was nice enough to correspond. And, you know, over the years, I asked him several times, hey, would you like to come on my podcast? I'd love to have you on. Uh, and he, he politely ignored most of those requests. And uh, as the 100th episode approached, I thought, you know, there's just nobody better that I could get for my, for my big celebration episode than to get Bruce Schneier. And so I appealed to him one last time. You know, I said, hey, Bruce, if you're going to do this ever, this is the one to do. And he very, very graciously agreed after much browbeating to become my guest. And it was really a wonderful interview. So... For Data Privacy Day, I'm going to uh, replay that interview for you. It's very, very relevant still today, which I guess on one hand, that's bad because a lot of things we talked about have not changed since then. But he talks, you know, we talk about why people don't seem to care about privacy, why, you know, regulation is, is going to be required, even though so many people just hate the word regulation. We're going to talk about that. We talk about the power imbalance brought about by uh, you know all this data and how it could be used against us, both by the government and by corporations, and just more and more. It, it was just a great interview, and so even if you heard it last year, I, uh, I would recommend you listen to it again. I just listened to it again. There were things in there that I had forgotten as well. Bruce is a really great speaker, and he does such a good job of explaining things. So uh, that will be coming up today for our interview. Also, after the interview, since uh, this is Data Privacy Day... Uh, I will walk through a, a few different privacy items for you. And uh, for the tip of the week, I'll basically end up pointing you to my blog, which has a really exhaustive list of uh, privacy checklist things that you can be doing to enhance your privacy. So stay tuned for that at the end of the episode. But now let's get into our re-airing of my wonderful interview with Bruce Schneier. <laughs> Bruce Schneier is an internationally renowned security technologist and the author of 14 books, including the bestseller, Click Here to Kill Everybody. He's written many articles and papers, has an influ influential blog called Schneier and Security. He's a board member and, or board advisor for several organizations, including EFF, Epic, Tor, and Verified Voting. And he's even testified in front of Congress. The list goes on and on. I have been dying to interview you since day one uh, on this show, and you've graciously agreed to come speak to our audience on our Pod Centennial episode. Bruce, thanks so much for coming. Welcome to the show. Oh, it is nice to be here. Congratulations on 100 episodes. Thank you very much. Uh, and of course, what great timing. It just so happens that I did not plan this. It just so happens that today is Data Privacy Day, uh, International Day. Is it day. really? Yeah. Yeah, well, well, happy Data Privacy Day. <laughs> yeah, January 28th. So what, to celebrate, we should not go on Facebook or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, 
so I've, I've got so many questions for you, but the, the one that, for me, the crux of the matter always seems to come back to this, and I don't understand it, and maybe you can help me understand. Why? Is it is it the people don't know what's going on, or they just don't care? Why are we so cavalier about sharing all this data in exchange for quote-unquote free services, and what, what does it take for people to get mad about this? What, how do we get here? So it's complicated, right? And, and your question really brings that out. You know, it, it kind of makes no sense, yet it happens. Well, a couple of things are going on. One, privacy is a right. And most rights you don't notice until they're gone. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't really notice that you have freedom or privacy until suddenly you don't have it anymore. So it's really hard to proactively take steps when you don't really understand what the lack of the thing means. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that makes it difficult. Uh, the second is that these services are designed to make people not think of these things. Mm-hmm. So when you go on Facebook, you don't think about privacy. You think about talking to your friends. When you pick up your cell phone, you don't think, you know, I'm going to put my tracking device in my pocket <laughs> today. Right? You think I need to make and receive calls and get my messages and email. So the things we want are very real and very visceral. And the things that it costs us to get them, the privacy, is very abstract, mm-hmm. right? And it's, and it's not salient. Yeah. So it's not that, you know, if you ask people rationally, do, you know, what do you value? People value their privacy again and again and again. But when it comes time to the moment, what you want is to get your email, to talk to your friends, to navigate to your destination, to make that call. Those are all the things you want at the moment. And it's not just privacy. You see this in environmentalism. You see this in health. That the things we want in the abstract are Mm. not the things we do moment (laughs) to moment. Because the things we want are are hard and virtuous. And the things in the moment are, you know, extra large fries. That'd be great. (laughs) Right, yeah. So... So what will it take? In a sense, it's almost not possible for us at the cash register to make these decisions properly, mm-hmm. right? Which is why in sort of all of these things, in, in health, in public safety, in privacy, in you know, environmentalism, we tend to we tend to reach to our best selves, which is our collective selves and our policy selves, and not our immediate gratification selves. Right? If it was up to us individually to, you know, to buy pajamas that didn't catch on fire and weren't made by child labor, that would never happen. Right? Because it's five dollars cheaper, and when you're <laughs> at the store, five dollars is real money. And everything else is more abstract. But if we can come together and agree, right, pass a law that constrains our immediate gratification selves, then we do better. So that's a, that's a complex answer. But that's the kind of thing that's going on. And I don't know if it'll take anything. You know, I mean, there have been so many major privacy breaches. And every one, you say, well, this will be the one, right? Equifax. Oh, yeah. Right. OPM, every single government official, this will be the one, this will be the one. It never is. Because in the end, those are all abstract risks. 
and an abstract risk paired against a real immediate benefit is going to lose every time. So let's uh, let's jump ahead. I was going to get to this eventually, but you've pretty much called it out. So and by any other word, that's regulation. And that and as soon as you say that word, and I've done this myself on Twitter, I've said this word, and you know, someone said, you had me until you said regulation, because it just turns off half the populace as soon as you say regulation. I don't know what it is about this country, but they, they, they believe that there's no role for government. And yet, and time and time again, as you explain this in your books and your essays and your blogs, you come back to the same point where the market cannot solve this. So explain to me, explain to the audience why, and you've talked a little bit about this, why the market cannot solve this. Why is it, is there, do we just need more transparency? Would that do it? Would that let people make smart decisions and the market would just work? Or does it really come down to we have to have regulation? Well, again, it's complicated. And those people who say no regulation, you know, do drive cars that don't crash and do eat at restaurants and don't get poisoned and do, you know, go buy medicines without fear of, of being poisoned. Right. That, that in fact, people who say they want no regulation are just not paying attention. That in fact, the only way to survive modern life is through regulation. And I flew back uh, from, uh, from Europe a few days ago and I got on the airplane and I was unable and had no expertise to verify that that plane was safe. And I can't say to Delta Airlines, okay, before I get on, let me see the maintenance record for this aircraft, please. <laughs> right, I mean, you right. laugh because that's ridiculous. <laughs> and it is ridiculous. And, and yet I can get on that plane without even worrying about it because I know there are regulations sort of backing up the safety record, backing up the pilot training and pilot rest and all the things I've never even thought of. Yeah, right. So – it's not really about education because you cannot become an expert in food safety, in pharmaceutical safety, in airline safety, in internet safety, in automobile safety, in building safety. You just can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's impossible. Right. right. So what we do as society is we say, okay, look, I can't become all of those experts. So I'm going to delegate to an organization who will do this work for me. And that organization is a public organization, and that organization is a government organization. That's what we do. Yeah. And that's what that's what works. Now, some there, there are other issues you have with the fact that you have market failures. I mean, take Ecofax. Let's right. assume that it was a great market, and Ecofax lost all your data. Now go fire Equifax. Oh, wait, you can't. Right? You're not their customer. Right. You have no actual business relationship with them. So what could possibly the market do? The market rewards right, cheap information about you sold to third parties without your knowledge or consent. That's what the market is. Yeah. Now, does the landlord who buys the credit report from Equifax for you when you rent the apartment – care about your privacy? Kind of not really. <laughs> right. right. So you're going to have enormous market failures, right? Facebook. And Facebook is a monopoly. Yeah. I mean, I mean you can not be on Facebook and more people are, but it socially can be very difficult. Yeah. Right. That's where things happen. Yeah. I mean, right. I'm not on Facebook and I, and I feel it. Yeah. Right. And of course, Facebook goes out of their way to ensure that you're not really thinking about privacy when you're sharing. You're thinking about friends. You're thinking about telling them things, being closer to them, you know, all the things that allows them to mine your data on the side. 
right? And there is no competitor. I mean, it's interesting that, that there really aren't competitors viable to these large services that don't spy on you, right? which shows you that the market isn't working. Right. Right. I can't choose the more private version of Facebook. There is none. <laughs> right. And if there was and my friends aren't on it, it's kind of boring to be there. Right. Yeah. So again, I, I'm sort of stuck. Right. But, and, and, but, you know, this is not unusual. There exists no industry in the past century and a half that has improved their security and privacy, let's call it safety, hmm. you know, without being forced to by the government. I mean, sort of go through the list. Cars, planes, pharmaceuticals, um, medical devices, consumer goods, hmm. um, workplace safety, uh, agricultural safety, uh, finan- most recently financial products. Right? The market doesn't reward providing these safety and security features. Right? The market rewards churning out the thing as cheaply as possible and foisting it on the public and, and really making it so they don't know the difference. Well, there's no, there's no consequences right either. You look at Equifax. I mean, you, you thought for sure that maybe Congress or somebody would hold these guys accountable, and it just, it just didn't happen. I mean, there there's well, seems to be no downside. At, at, there is no downside, and that's because there's no regulation. Right? <laughs> so if you look at Equifax, I mean, the, the, what, what did they learn from, from the disaster? Right? Skimp on security, hope for the best. <laughs> if the worst happens, weather the press storm, you'll be fine. Yeah. Right? Facebook learned that after the election. Yeah. That there's no consequence, and because there's no consequence, there's no reason to do better. Right? There has to be consequence. And regulations are effectively consequences. Right? Regulations are how we're going to spur innovation here. Right? The myth you'll hear from Silicon Valley, from everybody, is that regulations hamper innovation, right. which is fundamental bullshit. <laughs> right? It just isn't true. Right? What, what regulation does is it raises the cost of not doing the thing. I mean, I have a lot of computer security uh, technologies that I can bring to bear on this problem. Right? The thing is that Equifax doesn't want to buy them because they're expensive. Yeah. And if I want Equifax to buy them, it has to be more expensive for them not to. Yeah. And that's what regulation does. Or regulation puts your, fi- it's your finger on the scales of the market and say, we collectively are going to make this group decision that privacy, security, whatever, is more important. And then everybody innovates. Right? Suddenly, there's a market yeah. for data privacy tools. Suddenly, there's a market for another way of doing business and surveillance capitalism that might be more profitable. So while we're talking about security, and this is something, the, the subject of your most recent book, uh, Click Here to Kill Everybody, and, and IoT. We, we, we should pause and marvel at the title? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I know what it's like to try to come up with a title, and, it, and that one, that is eye-catching. That, that, that one's going to bring you in. It's, it's my first clickbait title, but you know, you know the sequence here, right? The title just gets you to open the book or, yeah. read, the, or, or read the blurb on the, the Amazon page. And then the burl blurb gets you to buy it. So the title has to be arresting. That's my first clickbait title, and I'm really proud of it. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it's really not that hyperbolic because uh, as you go That's through That's a the... little hyperbolic. Let's be fair. <laughs> but, but, but it, but it is, is a real thing, right? I'm talking about yes. how computers fail, this notion of a class break. 
that in fact, unlike, oh, it was a good example, cars, right? You know, we know how cars fail. Cars have, cars have parts, parts have mean time between failures, and every once in a while cars fail, and there's, you know, this entire ecosystem of auto repair shops in your community that handles the steady stream of broken cars, right? We know how that happens. Computers fail differently, right? They all work perfectly until one day when none of them do. And that different way of failing is what I'm really alluding to. And the fact that computers now affect the world in a direct physical manner, that they're cars and medical devices, Mm. means it's not longer about data. It's about people's lives. So it really is evocative of what I'm talking about, even as it is a clickbait title. (laughs) Well, and to your point earlier about costing and not you know not spending the money if you don't have to. When you start talking about IoT, which is Internet of Everything, which is you know for some reason our our compulsion now, from a marketing perspective, to take something that was quote unquote dumb, something that probably had a computer in anyway, but wasn't connected to the internet, and think, hey, what can we do if we connected that refrigerator or that light bulb, or that you know, whatever toaster I've seen, they've done it with toasters and connect these things to the internet. What else could we do? Or nothing else. It's a marketing term, but because the cost of those things is so, so important and the margins are so small security is an afterthought at best, right? It's an afterthought. And, 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 you know, we, we tend to laugh at the internet of things, but I think it has untold marvels that when we when we connect our refrigerators and toys and toasters and cars and, everything in cities to the internet, that there will be these magical benefits we can only imagine today. I mean, I, I, I don't want to minimize the benefits of all these things. Our phones, Facebook, the IoT, it's, it's freaking amazing, mm. and it will continue to be so. Right? But yes, there are these downsides. And yes, when you have these low-cost devices – there's, there's really not a lot of impetus to put security in, right? The buyer doesn't care. Uh, the buyer can't make a decision based on it. So, so it's, what, it's what gets left on the engineering floor. So again, without some regulation, you'll have very, very poor security in these devices. That'll be around for years and decades and right. you know, cause all sorts of problems, both in privacy and in safety. Well, and it's even, it's, they're even indirect costs because like the, the Mirai botnet, there was these, these devices when insecure and when connected to the public internet are vulnerable and the hackers know this. And there's even search engines for these devices that, you know, Shodan, that allow them to find and compromise these devices. And even though it's not affecting you directly, these things are being co-opted into this zombie army to have real world effects on things we do care about, like Dyn DNS. Um, so it's even, it's more than just direct and the Marine botnet is, is a good example of, of a bunch of things we're talking about. So here it is. These are vulnerabilities in interconnected devices, particularly webcams and digital video recorders, and I think some, uh, <coughs> some routers. And a, they had default and lousy passwords, and hackers were able to break into them, make them part of botnets that were used to, to do you know, pretty serious damage on the Internet. Okay, so a couple of things. Let's say your DVR at home is part of that botnet. You have no way of knowing. There's no light that goes right. on saying, bling, I'm on a botnet. It still <laughs> works as a DVR. Right. And kind of you don't care. Right. right. It still works as a DVR. So you have no economic incentive to replace that. Yeah, right. 
and, and right now, I mean, there was the Mirai botnet that was full 2016. There are now hundreds of botnets using that same code. Yeah. So it is likely that your DVR is still part of uh, or several botnets because of that vulnerability. And you're going to keep that in your living room for another decade, <laughs> like having no idea. And then when you buy a replacement, you're not going to see a label that says, you know, botnet free. <laughs> right, right. But you could very well buy another insecure. <laughs> yeah. right? So here, so here the market's not going to fix this. With the DVR manufacturer who's doing this uh, you know, at a very low profit margin, right? the engineering team is offshore, it's, it's, it's done, is not going to make this better. Because wow. he has no economic incentive to do anything except give you a box that works at as cheap a price as possible. Right. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about data sharing or data oversharing, maybe. Um, and you know, for me, there's there's at least two aspects. There's like there's active data sharing, and there's what I'll call passive. So you know, when we go on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and we consciously share photos. Political views, uh, you know, we even give our DNA away just to find out what our ancestry is. You know, this is, you know, at least you can say that that was a conscious thing we did. We, maybe we don't understand fully the consequences. But then, to me, like the classic iceberg metaphor, there's this passive layer, you know, where we have this data, you know, we generate tons of data exhaust constantly, leave digital footprints everywhere. Uh, that, to me, is more of a passive thing. Uh, and I think that's probably the area where a lot of people get real fuzzy or maybe don't even think about it. So help our audience understand you know, what we are doing just by existing in our digital world today that we're not, maybe not conscious of. So this is actually, you know, nice because it's that difference between data and metadata, mm. which, you know, sort of came into the public view in, in 2014 after the Snowden uh, mm -hmm. revelations. So basically every time you act, interact with a computer, it produces data about that interaction, right? So if you make a cell phone call, if you walk by a camera on the street, if you use an ATM machine, you know, all of these things produce data about what happened. Now, that's been true since forever, right? Computers do that. But until recently, most of that data was thrown away <laughs> because right, data storage was expensive, data processing was expensive, data transfer was expensive. Now, all of that is cheap. So all that data is, is just saved forever until you go and use a search engine, right? There's data, and you know, Google saves that data. You use a credit card. There's data. You use a cell phone. Now, there's two kinds of data. The, the, the data that you actually uh, produce mm -hmm. knowingly. So you know, we are talking on Skype. Right? So the data is the conversation between us mm -hmm. right? that we are willingly producing. Uh, if I go to a search engine, the thing I type in, the results I get back, right? the email I type, the Facebook post I type. Then there's metadata, which is really data about data, mm. right? the data the system needs to operate. So if in order for this Skype call to happen – the metadata is my ID, your ID, information about your computer, my computer, the date, the time, IP addresses. When I make a, a, a phone call, it's my cell phone, your cell phone, our location data, right, which cell we're in, the duration of the call. You can think about that, that for all sorts of, of things. That's the data that we inadvertently 
give away. Mm-hmm. Right? When I walk around with my cell phone, data about where I am is generated constantly. Right? It has to be. Otherwise, the phone can't ring. Right, yeah. Right? I, met, I was in Munich a few days ago. I'm sorry, not Munich. I was in Warsaw. And uh, right, if the phone system didn't know it was in Warsaw, people couldn't call me. The fact that the phone works means the system knows where I am. Right, yeah. And that's, that's metadata. And that makes the, the, uh, the phone a perfect tracking device. Right? So when you, uh, when you type something into uh, to Google or, or Facebook or any other website, you have a typing pattern. Right? How fast you type, how fast you move the letters, that's metadata. And that could be used for authentication. And that could be saved and collected. And, and really, we're at the point where all of this data and metadata can be collected and saved forever. Yeah. Because the cost of data storage, of data transport, and data processing has dropped so cheap that it's basically free. So in all of this data, and especially metadata, that companies used to throw away, now they save. Because it's easier to save it all than to figure out what you should save. <laughs> So that leads to my next question. This is a topic that you've brought up or an angle to this you brought up that I haven't seen often referred to elsewhere. Maybe I'm just reading the wrong things. But the the power imbalances that are generated by this data collection, not only by corporations but by governments, and, and how that how that affects your life in ways that most people probably don't understand until maybe they run afoul of it. So talk a little bit to me about uh, about how the power imbalances grow with this and why that's such an important aspect to this. Well, data is effectively power. Right? You have data about someone, you have some power over them. You know, it might be minimal, it might not be useful, but that, that's kind of what's going on. And the reason companies like Facebook and Google are so powerful is, is because they have so much data and they can do things with it. So it's not, not the same for you, know, you to have data about Facebook employees and they have data about you, that you know, who they are and their position makes them a more powerful agent. And this is also true for governments. And if the police have data about you, they can use it in, in certain ways. Right? If you get stopped by the police and they want to see your ID, if you say, well, show me yours first, it doesn't, equal, <laughs> right? it doesn't equalize it. Right? You laugh because you know, what I said was absurd. That, that it doesn't make the inter- interaction equal. Right, I showed you my day. I showed you my ID. Now you show me yours. Well, no, because because it's the police, right, right. they can do more with it. So data is fundamentally tied with power, and, you, and you'll see this in in privacy laws and open government laws. Right? And sometimes you will see privacy being used as a way that the powerful protect themselves. Right? Why you can't film the police? Right. Yeah. Privacy. So bring that up. Right. Right. You know, and, and, but that makes no sense. The police are in a position of power. Think of the power imbalance, right? The police high and the individual low. So privacy increases your power. Openness reduces it. So this is very visual, so stick with me. Right? The police are high and the individual is low, sort of naturally. Police have more power. Mm-hmm. If, we, if the individuals get privacy, it raises their power. Right, which, which lessens the power differential between the police and the individual, and that's good for liberty. If we have surveillance, that lowers the individual's power, and that increases the differential between the police and the individual, that's bad for liberty. Now, let's get to the, uh, the police, the one on top. 
privacy for police increases their power, and that increases the differential and is bad for liberty. Open government laws that reduce the privacy of the police reduces their power. It reduces the differential, and that's good for liberty. Right? And, and that's why you can be pro-privacy and pro-forced openness in government, because mm -hmm. they're both good for liberty. Well, that's a classic thing too. The the the, the trade off that people always say uh, is you must you know to give up give up your privacy in order to have security. Um, can you debunk that one for us? Because that is commonly yes, about. that is easily a tall fence, right? There's lots of security, a big uh, a wall, a barky dog. There's lots of security measures that have nothing to do with privacy. Now, if you, when you say you must give up privacy for security, you look at them and say door lock. Right? <laughs> a door lock gives you security and you do not give up privacy at all. Yeah. And in matter of fact, very often when you give up privacy, it's bad for security. You know, massive surveillance. Mm. You know, nobody feels more secure by living in former East Germany. Right? We're all under surveillance. Don't you feel secure? I don't. Uh-oh. Yeah. Right? That's why they didn't like it. Now, there's a little, this is a little facile. And of course we want – of course there are some, some measures of security that do reduce privacy, right? We want the police to invade our personal space in order to solve crimes, right? That's a good thing. But we recognize that that is an awesome power and we have controls. We have a warrant process. We have, we have various due processes that limit the police's ability to intrude in our private lives, Right. While giving them that capability, right? we willingly give it to them with controls right. because we recognize that some, at some level, we need – police need the ability to invade our privacy for our security, right? But we have additional controls on them. All right. So let's come back to a little, a little more down there, a little more practical stuff. Um, so That's pretty practical. I mean the warrant, <laughs> the warrant process is a really practical thing. Oh, well, don't, sure. don't, don't diss it so quickly. <laughs> so I often hear and often – find myself saying as well that one of the key problems is that we don't we don't pay money for these services if the product is free then you are the product is that really the problem that uh, you know it, for obviously if you look at verizon and your isps we pay them a lot of money and yet we're they, they still they still track us so uh, so so i think that is that that's just very that's just part of the problem it's certainly true that companies give away their services in exchange for spying on us you know that that's just part of it I mean, in, in the beginning, it was these companies that were delivering free services that had a surveillance model to, uh, to, to basically get revenue, and there was no way to charge for the thing they were giving. But this is surveillance capitalism. Shoshana Zuboff just published a book yeah. with that title, a phenomenal book. And really, everybody is now doing it. So you go to Amazon, right? They don't give away stuff away. They, they sell stuff. That's their business. And they are spying on you. You mentioned Verizon. So all companies are trying to get into the surveillance game because it is right now so lucrative. And that's perturbing capitalism, really, at all levels. And you want to buy a car, and the, they want to spy on you. You yeah. want to buy a coffee machine, they want to spy on you. So they, the companies, these companies often come back to a couple things. So first of all, they'll say – uh, this data, yeah, okay, sure, we collect data, but you know, it's all it's anonymized, it's it's aggregated. We it's, but it's, is, but it's it, not. <laughs> they, they, they actually they actually don't say that anymore. <laughs> it turns out to be a lie, 
and, and they don't say it. It's not anonymized. It's not aggregated, right? You know, you, Verizon sells your location with your name on it. Yeah. Right? You know, uh, stores sell your purchasing history, right? Facebook doesn't sell your data and they give it away, but they sell access to your data to you, <laughs> not some anonymous person, to you. Yeah. Right? Surveillance capitalism is about the individual. It's not about anonymous. It's not about aggregate. It's about the individual. Well, of course, the other thing they say is, well, you, you, you clicked the service agreement. You agreed to everything that we're doing. And, and I found this thing the other day, which is just wonderful. It was a, uh, some artist named uh, Dimi Yurovinsky, and he had this thing called I Agree. And he, look, he took the, the, social, the, the largest social media companies and printed out on regular font all of their terms of service and, and ran them end to end. And you actually visually see how long these things are. And the, the winner I think was Instagram at like a th- 17,000 words, which he estimated would take an average individual 86 minutes to read. So, I mean, but they always, but they claim, well, you, look, you clicked, you agree. You know, if you didn't read it, that's not my fault. Um, but, but, but you just said that that's not true. Right. And it's not, I mean, we talked about this in the beginning. Right? Why isn't notice enough? Because it's, it's coerced because it's not real. Uh, I, the, the doc Searles calls this the biggest lie on the internet. And that's every time you click, I read this and I agree. You do it, I do it, every listener does it. You click it even though it's not true. You lie all the time. Yeah. And, and yes, legally it means you read it, but it isn't true. And this again, again gets back to government regulation. The reason you click and don't worry about it, because in the back of your mind, mm-hmm. you think the government took care of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Just like when I walked on an airplane. In the back of my mind, if I thought about it, you know, it's someone else is handling airplane safety. Right? Someone else, someone else read that agreement and it's not onerous, right? I didn't sell my soul. Even though that's not true, <laughs> it is what we think. You know, we, we believe the government is actually looking out for us. So we all click those agreements without reading it, right? We lie and we say, I agreed. But, you know, that's disappearing. Even that fiction is disappearing. Because that, that agreement, in order for it to work, you had to visit the website. Right? You had to go do the thing, open up the software, visit the website. You get the agreement, you click. As computers become more ambient in our lives, there's no, there's no point of interaction mm. where we could agree. Right? When you walk into a store... And there are 17 surveillance cameras and your data is being collected. There's no way for you to agree. When I walk into a friend's house and they have an Amazon Alexa, there's no way for me to agree <laughs> that it's listening and, and, and interpreting, doing whatever it does. Right? That, that this agreeing implies this screen we visit. And that's disappearing. So even this notice and consent, as uh, laughable as it is, is not surviving. So we, all this comes back to it, and you've talked about this, I know as well, is that we we blame the victim, right? So it, it, the, all these companies basically, oh, if they would have done this, if they'd have changed those privacy settings, those arcane privacy settings, if they just found that one button we gave them that was hided four four levels in and given a weird title like, you know, uh, customize experience, which really means please track me, you know, that, that we're blaming the victim. But the other part of that is not just the dark patterns of the companies that are trying to collect this data, but the just the sheer complexity of this and 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 security and privacy can be hard i mean even if we wanted to do the right thing often it's difficult do you envision is there 
uh, we've talked about regulation, and I agree. Um, do you envision that there is a some sort of a technical solution to this that might help? There are lots, but again, the market doesn't reward it. Right? If Facebook deliberately makes it hard, deliberately makes it obscure, deliberately makes it so that you don't want to take the time. Hmm. When you go onto the, the, the site and you get a dialog box and it says, our privacy policy has changed. Click here if you want to you know, read the new policy. Right. What you see is I'm a box. I'm in your way. <laughs> Click here and I will disappear and you can talk to your friends. Right. And you go do that. And so, so it's not that it's hard. It's that it's deliberately designed to be hard by the companies because they want you to accept the defaults, which is to be tracked all the time. And again, this speaks to regulation. Right? If regulation forced the companies to use plain language and forced them to give actual options that made sense to their users and, and made defaults more private – then we would have more privacy. So yes, there are lots of technologies that can change this. Technologies of anonymization, you mentioned, technologies of deleting, not collecting, of storing it more securely, of using it more securely. But the companies will never use them because they cost money and there's no benefit to using them. Right? Unless the cost of not using them rises, we'll never see them. Right? I don't have a tech problem here. I have a market problem. So if, the, if regulation is the ultimate solution to this and the only way that's really going to cause any real change in this market, do you have – and you've testified in front of Congress – do you have, A, confidence that the representatives that we've elected to cover you know, all sorts of things, not just technology, understand technology enough to, to implement proper solutions? And B, given – and this is probably a whole other podcast – the campaign finance situation – how do we expect them to really act in our interests and not the interests of the people that are funding their campaigns? So I'm going to ignore the second question because you're right. That's its <laughs> own podcast, right? And, and, a, and that's a bigger problem than security, right? That's a problem of special interests and money and politics. Yeah. But you know, let's talk about privacy. So no, I don't expect the federal government to do anything. I don't expect them to do anything at all. So what I'm really looking for here are other groups that can take the lead. Mm -hmm. Europe. Right? Mm -hmm. Europe is the regulatory superpower on the planet. Two years ago, they passed a comprehensive privacy law, GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. Came into effect last year. We're going to start seeing prosecutions this year. Right? And that is a big deal. Yeah. In the United States, some states are doing things. Right. California, New York, Massachusetts in particular. California passed a data privacy law last year. They passed an Internet of Things security law last year. New York is regulating cryptocurrencies. And the neat thing about this is that software is right one cell everywhere, so we all benefit. Right? So let's take a car, for example. For, for a car, the car you buy in the United States is not the same car you buy in Mexico. Right. Environmental laws are different, and the manufacturers tune the engines to the local laws. But the Facebook you get in one place is the same Facebook you get everywhere else because it's easier. So California just passed an IoT law, and it doesn't take effect until 2020. One of the provisions is no more default passwords. Mm. Right. So you imagine a company that makes an interconnected toy or a DVR or something, says, okay, we need to take out our default password to comply with this California law. They're not going to make two versions of their DVR, one for California, one for the rest of the country, because that's stupid. <laughs> right. right. It's easier and cheaper to sell one version everywhere. So a, 
a, a good security or privacy law in a large enough market affects everyone. Lots of companies have decided to implement GDPR everywhere because it's easier than figuring out who's European and who isn't. Right, yeah, the internet's global. Right, so, so we are benefiting from a European law. So that's what I think is going to happen. Interesting. That we're not going to see the federal government do anything, right, for a whole bunch of reasons that are too complicated. Right. But other markets are taking over, and we're going to benefit from that. So, all right, one more policy kind of question, and then I've got to get into some practical advice before we let you go. Um, so at odds with all of that, it seems to me, or maybe it's a different side of this argument, is like the Australian law that just got passed with the Assistance and Access Act. And, of course, the UK's, you know, Investigatory Powers Act that was two, hours, two years prior to that. Uh, and, of course, our FBI is talking about going dark. And so is this really – so? Uh, is the difference here that we, we want to control corporations and want to regulate them, but we want to deregulate or or unfetter law enforcement? No, it's more complicated than that. It, it's that we want defense to win, that we want security to be what's most important, and that these laws in Australia, in the UK, what the FBI wants is to weaken security. What the FBI says, right, we need to have a less secure iPhone, you know, WhatsApp chat, because we want to, to eavesdrop on what these devices and services are doing. That's, that's what they want. The problem with that is that these devices and services are critical infrastructure. That every U.S. legislator has an iPhone. Our nuclear power plant operators are... CEOs of industry, that all of these people use these devices and services, and they need to be secure. That, yes, there is a security benefit in being able to eavesdrop, but there's an even greater security benefit in not being able to eavesdrop. Because once I build an eavesdropping capability, I can't decide who can use it. Right. So, so that's, it's, it's a subtle trade-off. And as computers get more critical – as they go into cars, as they go into you know, IoT appliances and thermostats and medical devices, this becomes much more paramount. Right? That we cannot put back doors and devices for the benefit of law enforcement because that makes us all much less secure. All right. So I always like to give my audience uh, practical advice and things that they can actually go and do. Uh, so love to hear what, what you what do you do on a personal level what do you recommend for your friends and family in terms of just basic seat belts you know smoke alarms sunscreen kind of level what do you tell them to do to guard their their data privacy what do you do I mean, the sad thing is is there's not a lot you can do right? because the data is not in your hands right? your data is at Facebook at Google at Equifax I mean, so in the wake of the Equifax breach what's my advice don't have a credit card. Don't have a credit rating. Never buy anything ever from anybody. Right? I mean, it's, it's stupid advice. Don't have a cell phone. Don't have an email address. I mean, this is stupid advice. You can't live in the 21st century without these things. And, and, and there's things you can do around the edges. You know, none of it's new. You know, have a good antivirus. Be careful about attachments. But, but in the end, your data is not controlled by you. Right? This is not a problem that you can solve. Other than by not engaging, which is not really an option, this, it, it, if you really care about this, you must get involved at the policy level. Right? Make this an issue. 
This was not an issue in the last election, not or actually any election. <laughs> it needs to be. For sure. Uh, so uh, other than, you know, the standard call your representative or maybe donate some money, is there anything else from a personal level that, you know, I guess we can, what, uh, hold these guys' feet to the fire at the town halls, ask them these kind of questions? and Yeah, you know, it, it's politics, and politics is complicated, and politics is, is pretty uh, dysfunctional right now. But it really is where we have the power. And until this becomes an issue, it's, it's not going to get solved. My, my fear is that it's going to become a public safety issue. That, in fact, it will take a, you know, click here to kill everybody moment where, you know, someone crashes all the cars or, I guess, more realistically, all the cars of one make and one right. model year for Congress to say, my God, something must be done. But, you know, that's, that's the kind of environment we're in. Yeah, I worry that the next thing is going to be another terrorist attack and it's the pendulum's going to go the, the other way. Yeah, I worry about that too. It won't be cyber terrorism. I mean, that's largely a media myth. But yes, you know, if there is another uh, terrorist attack with, uh, you know, with a reasonable death toll and you know, a demographic of an attacker that, uh, you know, we can demonize. So it can't be like, uh, you know, a right wing terrorist has to be a, a Muslim terrorist. Mm-hmm. That yes, I think we'll, we'll lose we'll lose a lot of our freedoms and privacy. We wanted them. All right. Well, I can't let this go on a downer note. So give us some hope. What, what, what do we? What, give us some, give me something to smile about. What, what What are the options here that we can really look forward to? What What How's this going to come out? So I think we're going to actually solve this. I, mean, I don't I don't see the end of our society here. I think we will figure it out and we will emerge from this uh, more secure with more security and more privacy. I think it'll take a lot of ups and downs. I mean, near term is going to be rocky, but long term we'll figure this out. And my belief is surveillance capitalism will one day be an illegal business model. Mm-hmm. And we'll look back at it like we look back at you know, child labor. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you took small children and put them up <laughs> chimneys to clean them? That's immoral. And we'll look at, at this sort of thing in, in, in much the same way. And we will figure out you know, better business models and what uh, market economies look like in the information age in ways that are moral. And – yeah, and yeah, I, th- I think we'll figure this out. Well, I certainly hope you're right. And uh, thank you so much again for coming on and talking to the audience. And it's been uh, wonderful having you on the show, Bruce. And uh, good luck to all you're doing and keep doing all you're doing because you're, you're making a big difference out there too. Well, thank you very much. Man, I really enjoyed that interview with Bruce. And I hope you did uh, too. You know, maybe again for the second time if you were around last year when, the, when we did it the first time. But He's such a good person to talk to about these things, really kind of grounding all these discussions in uh, in language that makes a lot of sense and, and really brings it home of why, you know, we, we need some form of regulation, how without without the government, unfortunately, stepping in, these things are just not going to happen naturally. The market just won't support these sorts of things because it costs money and the average consumer either doesn't care or doesn't know how to evaluate the relative privacy or security of different products. So for the tip of the week... Uh, what I'm going to do basically is refer you to my blog, the firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. If you look there and find my Data Privacy Day 2020 uh, entry, it, it talks a little bit about why privacy is important. And if you want to skip that, you can just go to the bottom. At the very bottom, there's a link to my uh, ongoing updated privacy checklist. And I, instead of writing a new article every single year, what I basically do is uh, keep this privacy checklist up to date. So this is something you might actually want to bookmark. Uh, for future reference, There's, it's just chock full of different things you could be doing, many of which are free, to enhance your privacy. It talks about what the most private browser is and what 
plugins you can use on your browser to help protect your privacy. It talks about VPNs and choosing a privacy-respecting DNS service. It talks about encrypted messaging services and secure email services. How to find all the settings on your social media and other applications to dial up your privacy. It lists several different things you can read or pass on to others to read or watch. as a documentary in there as well and a TED Talk video. Things that are very inspiring, things that have, uh, I quote uh, and refer to often that really explain why privacy is so important. It's somewhat longer than others. Uh, if, if, it, if this interview and other things I've said have not managed to convince you yet, there's some articles here that I would highly recommend you check out. And finally, I'll link to some of the guides that I have personally bookmarked uh, from around the web, from really great websites that promote privacy and review a lot of different products and services. So again, that's firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. Uh, if you want to try to go straight there, it's uh, slash data dash privacy dash day dash checklist. Uh, or you could just actually just search on checklist and it'll bring it right up. I did say I was going to mention a couple of Bruce's books that I recommend. Uh, one is Data and Goliath. It's a great book. Uh, that's If you're going to start somewhere, I would start with that one. Uh, he also has a more recent book called Click Here to Kill Everyone, which we talked about in the podcast. And that's really a little bit more about cybersecurity in the modern age, how, you know, as we talked about in the, in, in the, in the interview, how computers are really in everything now. And because we're in such a rush to connect all these things to the Internet, that means they're really globally vulnerable to attack. And because even though there's many different name brands and many different products, uh, underlying a lot of these technologies is that the same operating systems are the same hardware chips. And a lot of times these things have flaws. And that so when one of these things has flaws, many, many other products have the same flaw, as we talked about recently with the, uh, the cable modems. Bruce also mentioned a book called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff. Uh, I have that book as well. I have not had a chance to read it yet. I'm looking forward to it. And the article just has so much more. So it's just just chock full of different uh, different ideas and lots of links to other things, too. So definitely check that out. And that will wrap up our show for this week. Thanks again for listening. Happy Data Privacy Day, everybody. And until next week, as always, stay safe and don't get caught with your garbage down.